0: Hey there, Blue Devil fans. Did you miss us? It's been a while, but the DBR podcast is back. Welcome to yet another episode. I don't even know what episode it is. I completely forgot to check the number it's, before I got started. Jason, it's yes. it's
1: 162, and and we said, I, I think I hosted last time, and I kept saying that it was episode 162. Today it's episode
0: 162. Well, there you go. So I was only confused because Sam confused me previously. I am Jason Evans. I'm your host this week um, as we are uh, all ready to really get geared up and and start with another um, year of, uh, of Duke football, Duke basketball and Duke athletics. Joining me as always, you heard him just a moment ago, Sam Klein. Sam, how's it going?
1: I'm good. I am still in Seattle for two more days. My internship is just wrapping up, and I will be headed back to North Carolina soon
0: to begin my second year of business school. There you go. And uh, at, at at Duke, of course, Sam is our yes. on-campus voice. Yes, still, um, and, a, student, uh, and still always... a student
1: at Duke. Have not been have not been expelled yet for any reason.
0: Yes, <laughs> there's still time. There's yeah, still time. you never
2: know. You never know. <laughs> uh
0: and also as always, Donald Wine, Donald, how are things in uh DC?
2: Uh they're going pretty well. I think the last time we recorded, um, you guys actually didn't record with me. We did the whole uh me recording answers from Paris. Uh, I am back from Paris, but I have returned to America a four-time champion. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> Donald, you 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 came back with the hardware. I did, I did. It wasn't I, I let the ladies uh go like bring it home. Because they actually did most of the work, um, but yeah, it, it was it was fun. It was good to be there for the whole tournament and to be there to watch us win it all. It kind of you know how you kind of you sit there and say, "Hey, I have a goal," and then you see that goal actually come
0: to fruition. That was this whole trip, so that's pretty cool. That is very cool. But but uh, enough about our uh, interesting or not interesting travels and summers and all that other kind of stuff. We're here to talk about. Duke Athletics. Um, And we will start with basketball. I know football's coming up. We're going to get to football in a little bit. If you're a big football fan and you're like, hey, wait, isn't it time for them to talk about football? It is, but we're going to get to basketball first. We are, after all, the Duke Basketball Report. And gentlemen, um, uh, this summer has unfortunately not brought a trip to Canada or some other foreign locale where the games are broadcast on ESPN and we get some behind-the-scenes special. We didn't get any of that stuff about the Blue Devils Um, This summer. So so we're operating a little bit, you know, a little less information than usual. But fairly recently, we've been getting um, a few short videos, some comments from Coach K and John Shire talking about the team. um, And we've seen the guys working out a little bit. Uh, Let let me ask what what you guys have seen. Um, uh, Sam, I will start with you. You know. Uh, do you get a sense maybe of how the team is beginning to come together as all the players are on campus this summer, um, uh, you know, mixing the new freshmen, yet another group of new freshmen with uh, some fairly experienced returnees?
1: Yeah, I think that the, the thing that we were looking at most in the spring when we were talking about this upcoming season and, and the roster, the overarching theme was there are too many guys for them to play big minutes or play the the Coach K style tight rotation, lots of minutes for a few guys thing because there are just there are too many good players. And I think it's still I, I think we're still in that zone. I think we we don't know yet that um outside of perhaps like Trey Jones and Vernon Carey, definitely starting, you could see a lot of the other starting positions on this team sort of move around. I'm excited to see Matthew Hurt and the impact that he's gonna have, especially on offense. I think the team is really excited about Cassius Stanley and and how, how mobile he is, and, and and the hops that he's got. Uh, but you have a lot of returning players who also are going to be competing for minutes. Dudes like Alex O'Connell, um, Joey Baker, who we obviously only saw a little bit of last year, but who we expect to see a lot more of this year. A guy who, um, who if he had he had come to school in his proper year, I think would be getting a lot more attention. So there's a lot of dudes who are in the mix, and that's you know i I mentioned a handful of guys that I think are gonna have an impact this year, and I'm leaving out all of the potential captains, right? We've got javin Delorier, we've got jack white um the The veterans on this team are not going to be the flashiest ones so i I don't know that I have any big takeaways from the from all the media from this summer, and I think the program as always has been doing a great job of of keeping us up to date about what's going on, but it does seem like all the guys are on campus. They they're excited to to get to work, and like you said, Jason, they didn't have a summer trip where we could really see them in action. So we're even more excited um, to to get the season going and and to see what they look like at countdown to craziness.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned some of those experienced guys. I mean, look, we we know the freshmen are going to have a big impact um in you know the past decade or so that's always the case at duke and and in all likelihood this team will to some extent sink or swim based on the play of carry and hurt and and some of those other guys that said uh, the uh, something i noticed in the videos and in some of the conversations that uh, you know coach Kay's put out a video and john shires had a couple of them um I, i'm I, i'm really excited about the experienced guys coming back i feel like this is a pretty darn experienced Duke team. I mean, Trey Jones played pretty much every minute he could last year. Um, and it's been a while since we had a really experienced point guard who wasn't a freshman. <laughs> um, so I'm excited about that. Javin Deloria and Jack White played big minutes. Um, Alex O'Connell uh, had certainly had a number of games where he played a significant role. Even Even Goldwire and Baker were able to Play meaningful minutes in important games last season, and that, that's that's a good core of guys who um, who will be able to tell these freshmen what it takes to succeed at this level, the kind of focus, the kind of intensity, um, and, and that's one of the things I've seen in the videos is that uh, the, the the experienced players uh, taking the lead as they should uh, and making sure these freshmen are playing, uh, you know, the with the kind of effort. That you need to have to succeed um, uh, when you're playing, you know, in the ACC and playing the kind of schedule that, that Duke's uh, going after. Hey, hey, Donald, talk to me. Do you see anything in the uh, in the workouts and in what these guys are going through um, that, that you found interesting?
2: Yeah, I think the first thing that I, I give Blue Planet credit because one thing that they can do is show how a team is coming together better than any you know, school or institution or even professional team that I've ever seen. We see these guys having fun in these workouts and you you hear about the summer workouts being grueling and grinding and a lot of coaches will like hype that fact up, but our guys are having a lot of fun and I think that is yielding results. Uh, one, the team looks close together. they They appear to be having fun together and growing as a team. We've seen that last year and I think that camaraderie is what shows and that's what that's what helps teams when we have tough times. We're going to have some tough times this tournament, or uh, not. I'm not the tournament, but during the season and the tournament, we're going to have some opportunities for, you know, doubt to creep in and and all of the negative naysayers to kind of infiltrate this team. But if you have a close knit team, that won't be uh, it. Won't have an impact um, like it will on other teams. And I think that is good that that's being started here in the summer. I think the other thing you're noticing is they're doing a lot of strength training and you see some noticeable gains from a lot of players. I I immediately uh, noticed that Javin looks – he may, he doesn't look bigger, but he definitely looks stronger and more ripped. I think that's going to be good because we're going to need his presence in the post, and uh, I think he understands that when we're – you know when he has the ball, he's going to have to be strong with it, and I think this is a part of that. Joey Baker looked really, really strong and looks leaner. He looks faster. Uh, and, and I think that sort of thing means that he's working hard to want to become a part of that rotation, which, as we all expect, will be very crowded uh, on the wing and in, in the point guard and, and shooting guard positions. So I think that when we do that, uh, you know, when we have these kind of uh, videos that show those gains. That's what makes me excited about the team, because I want to see how that translates to the floor when they're playing uh, opposing competition. We won't see that for a couple of months, unfortunately, but. I like what
0: I'm seeing now. All right, so, uh, in addition to looking at the players playing on uh, on video and such like that, uh, there was some recruiting news this summer. Um, Duke picked up a another big time recruit. It's like the the beat goes on for Coach K. Um, uh, he he landed Jalen Johnson, um, widely considered you know one of the top five or so players in the class. Um, six eight, very long, but a small forward with point guard kind of skills. Um, uh, you know, just a, a wonderful, wonderful recruit for the Blue Devils. Uh, Donald, I'll go to you first. <laughs> Obviously, not surprised to see Duke once again putting together what looks like it'll be one of the top, if not the top, recruiting classes in the country. Um, give me a little bit of what you know about Jalen Johnson.
2: Well, he's really smooth with the ball. Uh, he can put the ball on the floor for a guy his size. Uh, he can make the play. He can make the right pass. He can, you know, like you said, He's kind of a point guard out there, which is is obviously good in an offense like ours. Uh, but he also is very good at catching the ball off the three. He can get around, make a play, get open, and if he's in a, in a position, he can square up and shoot it, which I think is you know one of his best strengths. Now, I think he has that combination uh, of size and point guard skill that uh, we. Don't see a lot in college. Um, and so I think that is a good thing for us to have. It means that he's probably going to be playing multiple positions maybe. Uh, and also that he's going to be a versatile kind of guy that we can rely on to do more than one thing. I think the one thing that I'm looking to see him grow on is his, uh, he has some defense, but he, uh, I feel like when it comes to his game, his game is more suited to be a complementary player as opposed to being the guy. Uh, and we obviously need, you know, a little bit of both, but uh, I want to see you know this year uh, as he goes into his senior year. Can he be the guy uh, at times if he need if we need him? Because there's going to be a point where Coach K is going to rely on him to step up and be the man, whether it be for a play or for a stretch or for an entire game. And I think that's kind of what I'm looking to see from him this year.
1: Yeah, Donald, I think you hit on the interesting thing about Johnson, which is that we don't know if he's going to be that that first guy um seems like a a really nice complimentary player perhaps in the um perhaps in the same vein as like jason tatum who didn't run the offense but but certainly was all over the floor for duke in in his one year and obviously now is is playing really well in the nba and and is is making that work for him kind of similarly sized you know tall wing um primarily a wing player not not a guy down low um the other recruit that who may be deciding soon here in the fall um, that would be an interesting piece to pair with Jalen Johnson is Walker Kessler, uh, the center from, from down in Jason's neck of the woods and outside of Atlanta, uh, he, who's, a, who's a real big man, uh, which Johnson is not. And so I'm curious to see if, if Duke's going to be able to pull him in. And then also which of all the, you know, stud wings that we talked about earlier that Duke has around this year, how many of those guys are going to still be around next year? Jalen Johnson, I think, regardless of the overall roster construction, gets a ton of minutes next year for Duke. He's a he's uh, you know five star guy, um, so he's going to expect to get minutes. Uh, one of the best players in the, in his class in the country. But the question is, how much uh, is he going to have to contend with all the other dudes that <laughs> that are coming in this year? Uh, how many of them are going to be sticking around? And and I think that we're not. We're not obviously going to know that at least until the season gets started and we can kind of see, you know, how good is how good is Stanley playing? How well is uh, Wendell Moore playing? All these guys who are going to sort of be competing in that big soup of of wing player minutes. Um, you know, Duke's Duke looks pretty good at at point guard for next year, but um but I, I think that that group of wings is still going to be um, in flux, and and there are still more guys in the pipeline. So I'm excited about Johnson. Uh, I'm I'm glad that Duke was able to get a player who is a who is a strong wing, kind of you know early in the in the recruitment process. And let's see if they can pull in the big man as well.
0: Well, you know, it's worth noting. <laughs> uh, you know, it always seems like Duke has so many really highly regarded guys on the wing. Um, I, even if it was just Jalen Johnson and guys who we think are pretty likely to come back next year, we'd be in great shape. But there's still a couple other guys we're recruiting: recruiting Zaire Wade, recruiting Cade Cunningham. Uh, there, there are a few other names out there of, of players that, that Duke is after who would play on the wing. And one of the nice things about Jalen Johnson is he has the skill set to fit in in a whole variety of different ways. This is a guy who, um, for his AAU team, has has played point forward. Um, he's certainly capable of handling the ball and operating like a point guard. He's a good enough passer that he can do that for sure. He's a very good outside shooter. He you know he can you know slip over and play a little bit of shooting guard, small forward. He's got the size to play power forward, especially at the college level if you wanted him to. he's six eight. um so so there are a lot of ways that he can fit into whatever the roster may be next year. and and Sam, I'm glad you mentioned Walker Kessler. there There's been a good deal of chatter. he He has scheduled his official visit to Duke. Um, and uh, people are and, and I, I wanted to say, whoa, slow your roll on this. People are are talking about Walker Kessler as the next Christian Leitner, um, <laughs> which is absurd. Um, but Walker Kessler has that kind of skill set, uh, a big man who's capable of going inside, but is very, very comfortable facing the basket, taking three pointers um, and being on the perimeter a, a little more bulky and stronger than some other Duke guys who have been like that. Uh, people are going to see that kind of skill set from Matthew Hurt this coming season. Um, but so that's why I think Kessler maybe does sort of resemble Leitner's game, perhaps a little more than some of the other uh, big men that you see who shoot outside because Kessler's a little bit uh, stronger than those other guys and is more capable of playing inside. But in any event, um, well yeah, and, and so Matthew, Hurt, Matthew Hurt Matthew Hurt
1: is more like is more like Jalen Johnson than he is like Walker Kessler, right? Um yeah. We're, yeah, we're talking yeah, about so. we're not talking about Matthew Hurt. Hurt being a being an interior player.
0: No, and and Hurt is not going to he's not gonna handle the ball the way Jalen Johnson does. He'll shoot probably better than Jalen Johnson, but he's not, uh, Jalen Johnson's a, a really smooth ball handler. He is incredibly comfortable putting the ball on the floor and creating things for his, for his teammates. Uh, we're talking about these guys like they're ever gonna be in school together. They will never, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it will be highly now, unlikely that these gentlemen ever ever s- step on the floor at the same time.
2: Now, Jason, you, you mentioned, uh, we were talking about other guys that we were going after. You, you, you slipped a little bit, you said Zaire Wade, Who we are recruiting, but we're also going after his teammate, Zaire Williams um, from Sierra Canyon. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. What? Say that again? There is a Zaire Wade, and then there is a completely different player named Zaire Williams. And Zaire Williams is the guy that we're going after for this class. I believe Wade would be in uh, the next class after that. And then the one after that, we would have Bronny Jr. Um, So, and they all play for Sierra Canyon this year, which. There are
1: two. There are two Zayers on the same high school team.
2: That is correct.
0: That's wait, bonkers. wait, wait, Sam! You don't know about the Sierra Canyon team.
1: I know that Sierra Canyon is awesome. Um, yeah, they will I did be. not realize they. <laughs> I did not realize they had two
2: Zayers. Yes, um, but yeah, they have
0: two. They have two Zayers. Sierra Canyon. Uh, I, I want. I desperately, I desperately want to see. We're getting into like by the way, just ridiculous high school stuff that people are going to be like, oh, uh, let me hit the 15-second or minute advance so they don't have to listen to me talk about them. this. But,
1: don't encourage them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, so Sierra Canyon and Monteverde Academy um, need desperately need to play basketball against each other this year. ESPN needs to broadcast it. Between those two teams, there are easily, easily six, probably more like eight, perhaps even 10 future lottery picks uh, on those teams. It is crazy the amount of talent on those two high school basketball teams. Um, and and uh, yeah, you're, you're right. I, 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 Zaire Wade is, by the way, Dwayne Wade's son. Um, and we are going after ah, we, him. We are recruited. Yes, it's just not yes. for this class. <laughs> right.
1: So are we going to be going up against, Ron, Ron, Ron. are we going up against Wojo for, for that guy? For Zaire Wade?
0: Uh, you know, he's question. still so young that I'm not sure he's narrowed things yet, Zaire Wade. Yeah. and he's not I mean, he's certainly a nice player that a lot of programs would be very happy to have. Uh, Zaire Wade isn't quite ranked. Um, he's not ranked nearly, you know, he's not considered as highly regarded a recruit as as his teammate Zaire williams um or yeah. or braun braun, uh, LeBron James Jr, um or some of the other guys in Sierra Canyon. Uh, not this, again, not to say that Zaire Wade isn't an excellent player. He's not someone who's considered a future lottery pick. Let's just put it that way. Unlike Cade Cunningham and Zaire Williams and Bronny and a few others. W- was that boring enough high school stuff? People are like, I'm talking about by the way, Bronny's like a, a, a friggin high school freshman. Zaire Wade I think is a sophomore. Is it a freshman or a sophomore? I think he's a sophomore. Yeah, Wade is a
2: sophomore and Bronny will be a freshman.
0: Yeah, it's like I mean, people we have I'm no sorry. idea. I apologize. At this point
2: at
1: at this point in uh, at this point in in my high school classes, uh, development like in ninth grade, Taylor King was the best was the best player in my class. Whoa! So, whoa. Oh, stop, there's a stop, name. Stop! Stop! Yeah, name from the Pass, Taylor King. <laughs> yeah. So, which is all to say, a lot can change.
0: Everybody, take a puff in honor of Taylor King. Oh, that man. was. Oh no! Don't do oh, that. that. Yeah. You
1: see. See what you know. Does, that's you know. me. You know. Come on now. <laughs> uh, he he had to transfer to two different schools. Anyway, Duke fans, we don't have to dwell on that anymore. Can we? Can we talk something else?
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, please. Let's. But but it, the irony is, we're just <coughs> talking about the past, the history. Let's talk history a little bit. Ken Pomeroy, Ken Palm. Oh, I'm excited.
1: Know? I'm excited about this about this yeah. topic.
0: Good. Good. Uh, let me introduce it to people, and then you can you can go and run with it. Uh, Ken Pomeroy has come up with his rankings of every program. Since 1997. Why since 1997? Well, because that's when Ken Palm started collecting all his data. And he has ranked the programs. He has this wonderful page on his website where you can see where all – it was it 357 or something like that? 353. All 353 programs in Division One, where they rank. Um, the team at the very bottom, team number 353, the worst program in all of college basketball is Grambling State. The best program in all of college basketball, Ken Pomeroy says – the program that has uh, the the most amount of success, the job that every t- coach would want, um, y- you know, just a program that you can predict will be at the top every single year. He says that program is the Duke University Blue Devils. I don't think any of us are that surprised at that. I'll just really quickly tick off the top five. It goes Duke. Kentucky's fairly close to Duke. And then there's a pretty big drop to Kansas. Then North Carolina, and then Arizona. I'm not going to continue to go through the entire list. It's fascinating to look at. He breaks down in a number of different ways. One of the coolest things he has is he he shows you how many years each program has been in the top 25 in his rankings, meaning they're one of the 25 best programs in the country at the end of the year. Duke and Kansas, 100%. Every single year, they are a top 25 program. I think that's just what an amazing testament to to the longevity and the and the continual success that coach K has brought to us. Sam, you want to talk about it. Run with it maybe, yeah. what you got. The,
1: the, there's a few interesting nuggets from here. The first is that I wish that he had cut it off at um because he was talking about how he wants to do enough recent history that it's still relevant and he took the data back to 1997 which is when his When his rankings begin i believe or he he has some set of data that only goes back to 1997 so therefore it encompasses that amount of time and and he said that uh, somewhere in his write-up i believe he said oh you know we could have gone even farther back obviously if you go back a, a few more years from there then you would actually get one of those times when duke probably didn't end up in the top 25 uh back to 95. but regardless i thought it would have been interesting if he had done this more from the lens of of recruits. So the the intro that he gave to the to the rankings, which I thought was really cool, was you know when when it's coaching carousel season, everyone talks about oh should this guy leave for that guy? Should this coach leave for that job? Is it a better job than the one that he has? Um, and this was sort of a way to evaluate which programs are actually better. So using this using this methodology, you would say any coach would leave their job to go coach at Duke now. Is Roy Williams going to leave North Carolina to coach at Duke? Probably not. Is John Calipari going to leave Kentucky to coach at Duke? Probably not. But for everyone else, um, I think it would have been fun to do this as an exercise for what do recruits care about? We talk about uh, we we talk a lot about where recruits are interested in going and and which programs are hot. And I think that the pitfall that commentators will often fall into is thinking, oh well, that you know so-and-so wants to go to the school, look at all their great history. And you got to remember that when recruits are 16 years old, if they only remember back to when they're five, they can only remember 10 or 11 years worth of, of players. So guys that Duke is recruiting now don't remember J.J. Reddick in college. Uh, they might remember Nolan Smith and Kyle Singler being in college. They might remember Kyrie being there. That might be like the first star at Duke that they remember is Kyrie, and he was only there for half a minute. So I kind of wish that these rankings had only gone back 10, either say 10 years for like the the useful memory of recruits or go back 18 years to say, um, this is the lifespan, you know, for, for the length of time that this year's high school seniors have been alive, th- these are the best programs. Because I think it would have been more fun to do an analysis that way and say, these are the programs that are still relevant right now. Um, UCLA last went to the Final Four in the mid-2000s. They haven't been back since then. UCLA is not cool anymore. Um, UCLA's got a ton of history. They have the most national championships, but all of that is in the way distant past. And does it even matter to recruits anymore? I think that that's where it's fun to sort of compare the programs. Um, looking at the at the specific teams that are in it, um, I noticed a couple of programs who've got vacated wins who still hung on pretty strong. Louisville is there at number eight. Um, and I believe that since they stripped the national championship, they now have no championships during that time frame. Memphis um, came in at 22. I know they've had some some wins vacated. I think it was also interesting to see the the teams that were ranked really high that don't have national championships. So Ken Palm said that he didn't um he didn't want to weigh too heavily on on postseason performance, but obviously, you know, we're all going to look at that. On the one hand you have UConn who's got four national championships and came in only at nineteenth, probably due to their to their current situation of of being in a lesser conference and and not having had much very recent
0: success. Well and worth and worth noting that they they are the team that has I, I believe two of their national titles they won as a team that wasn't that highly regarded they won one of them as mm-hmm. like an 11 seed didn't they no I mean, it was yeah an eight.
2: they were, they were 18. an 18
0: whatever it was I mean mm-hmm. Ken, Ken Ken Pomeroy was like yeah UConn is just their two of their titles are are teams that objectively were not good I mean not that they were bad teams but they weren't certainly weren't great teams they certainly weren't top 20 teams so anyway.
1: But teams in that, teams that, on, on the flip side, teams that don't have national championships that are high on the list, uh, if you you know ignore Louisville because they won one, they just don't, didn't officially win one. But you've got Texas, Ohio State, Gonzaga, UCLA in that range. Three of those, obviously, um, sort of more traditional powerhouse athletic programs in general. But the Zags coming in at number 12 um, is is really cool. Uh, and, and to me, almost undersells how awesome and consistent the Gonzaga program has been during this time span. Because, um, Jason, you mentioned that Duke and Kansas have, have finished in the top 25, 23 times. I think the Zags were, like, right behind them. Um, yeah, 22. You
0: know, they're, small they're, school. They're, they're next. Yeah. yeah.
1: The small school uh, and, and from, actually, a, from a small conference, and, and they're right there every year with all the Blue Bloods. I think that we don't appreciate enough how incredible Gonzaga's run under Mark Few has been, um, that they, every year turn out a team that is top 10. uh, And that in a ranking that goes back 20 years, they're one of the 15 best, you know, 12 best uh, programs in the country when they're a a, a tiny school out in the middle of nowhere.
0: I love that Pomeroy said, you know, oh, this is a ranking of who, you know, what coaches would take different jobs. And at first I sort of laughed at that. And then I was like, you know, like uh, Villanova comes in at number seven. I'm like, if Jay Wright was offered the Duke job, he takes it, right? I mean, like oh, that's not yeah, even a, a question.
2: Second.
1: Yeah. I I don't know about that. I think that um th- there's another and I I can't remember which sports writer invented this, but all these all these sites now do these trade value columns, which is similar to the conceit here, which is um, let's just rank all of the things. And the the conceit on the on trade value columns is basically rank all the best players in the sport uh, by if you traded, like if, if number one was on the trading block, you could give up any of the other players in the world for him um, because right, he is more right. valuable. And then you could trade number two for number one um, if if you gave up a little bit more with number two. This sort of works the same way, which says if you have the Kentucky job, you would automatically take the Duke job. The The logic sort of breaks down, I think, when you get really high on the list to the, you know, premium uh hall of fame type guys right hall of fame coaches are, are usually not bouncing from one school to another shout out to roy williams who left kansas for north carolina but usually that doesn't happen you also usually don't get superstars traded from one team to another it kind of works the same way i don't know if jay wright would, would would leave villanova for the duke job i mean he's he's a legend in his own position where he is now and does he want to sacrifice that to potentially become a legend in two places i'm not sure
0: well, and obviously there's a, you know, do I want to even follow Coach K? Do I want to follow the GOAT and and have to, you know, live up to those shoes, you know, fill those shoes, so to speak? But, hey, Donald, sorry, your turn to uh, to wax poetic about this ranking that says the Duke is the best of all time. Or the yeah. That's 23 years.
2: Yeah, we'll start with the fact that, you know, I think you guys, you forgot. I mean, you didn't really forget, but you kind of undersold um, the fact that we've been listed in the top 25 every single year on this well, it's even better. We've been in the top 20 because our worst ranking in Kempom since it started has been 19th in 2012. So that just to even further, you know, demonstrates how, you know, consistently great our program has been. Even if we're not winning championships every single year, we're still,
0: you know, in
2: the in the conversation almost every single year, which is true. My
0: god, we're we're top 10 20 out of the 23 years. That's absurd. Do you know how hard it is to be in the top 10 every year, it's just crazy. Yeah,
2: and I feel like we can probably pick the, the three years. There's 2012, there's probably 2007, and then what was the other one? 2014? Uh, uh, yeah, 2014. I mean, those are probably the three years where we probably were not in the top 10. And 2012, we were a two seed. 2013, 2014, we were, uh, what, three seed? Three. We were three. And yeah, so, yeah. I I mean... That's that's still you know calling out. Well, we're we're doing really really well at least in the eyes of uh, of somebody. So I think it's good that the data backs it up. I thought Texas at ten was kind of interesting because Texas is not that sort of. Is you know they've had a couple of years where they were in the top five or so, um, but they really haven't had a uh, a string of success. Uh, if that have makes they sense, even, have they even made it to a Final Four during this period? Yes, they did. Yeah, in two thousand three, they did Final Four. Yeah with, Ford. yeah, with TJ four. Yeah, with TJ four, um, and they yeah. eventually lost to. I want to say they lost to Kansas uh, in the
1: who final four. Lost, who, who then, then lost? Who to, then lost to Syracuse?
2: Yes.
0: Yeah, and by by the way, I think Texas is up there. Uh, my my understanding is, you know, because people have been writing about this, Texas got that spot because of their recruiting. Um, mm-hmm. Texas has been an incredible recruiting factory. Um, you know, not quite Duke and Kentucky, probably not quite Kansas, but but right alongside north carolina arizona michigan state kind of schools in terms of bringing in top 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 tier of talent kevin durant i mean mo bamba just you know a year or so ago um but uh even though texas brings in all this talent it hasn't really translated into into wins or into any kind of postseason you know meaningful postseason success
2: well it's because rick barnes famously said i don't my job is to get these guys to the NBA is not to win national championships. So uh, when it came to Texas and that's kind of, and it was kind of incredible how he lasted so long at Texas, considering they are a school who prides themselves on winning national championships. And they had a coach who was actively saying, my job is just to get these guys to the career that they need to go to. And that's why a lot of the players, uh, highly recruited players uh, especially from the state of Texas wanted to end up playing there because they knew that Rick Barnes's offense would be, would evolve to showcase the talents of the of the best players to get them to the league so uh, I think that's interesting that in spite of all that they still were you know ranked 10th um above you know if you think about like Gonzaga, UCLA, Maryland, Syracuse, Virginia who's been really good the last few years um all of those teams are below Texas which I think is kind of interesting when you look at the overall thing uh and I just also look at some of the lower oh, oh, Wait, wait, um, wait!
0: really quick mm-hmm. Really quick regarding Virginia, I mean, uh, they've been. If if, you know, I wish that Ken Palm would allow this thing to for you to sort of set the date range on it. Cause I think if you did, certainly if you did five years, Virginia would probably be top three. Yeah. If you if you went back 10 years, they're, they're certainly a top seven, top eight kind of team. I'm surprised that Virginia's number 17 because they were awful for a long, long time. I mean, this is a team in the past. Think about this. In the past twenty-three years, Virginia's only made the NCAA tournament ten times. Of all the teams in Ken Pomeroy's top twenty, they have the fewest number of NCAA tournaments. Um, and yet they've been, you know, ridiculously studly for about five years or so now. Um, and that's why they're as elevated as they are.
1: Yeah. And and And, and, and that that kind of goes back to the to what I was saying before about how I think this exercise would be even more useful if we were only talking about the useful shelf life of of program prestige, not going back twenty three years, because as you said, Jason, if we put the lens on Virginia, the last ten years, they're one of the, you know, five or six best programs in the country. When you include all that other data, uh, they slip down into the teens, where like no one really thinks that Virginia is like the eighteenth best or seventeenth best program in the country right now. They're either top five or they're like irrelevant because they don't have the super longevity that that some of these other programs do.
2: And that brings up a, a Jason's point. Brings me to my final point about this. And I, when I was looking at this earlier, I was commenting on the uh, the worst range and how low a team has been uh, in the last, you know, 20, two, 23 years. Uh, but you know, like North Carolina in two thousand two being one hundred thirty seventh—that's their worst one. That obviously makes sense. It, it felt like they were probably three hundred <laughs> that year because they were eight and you know eight and in infinity.
0: Seven sucks.
2: Yeah. But here's the thing. That's not the worst. Like, I mean, look at Indiana, Indiana in 2009 was ranked 209th in this camp. Palm. And they've had some very lean years. The last few years too, they've had some good players, but they haven't had some, some good years. So for them to be 209th and that was 10 years ago. That is interesting that they're in the top 20. You have Gonzaga at 150. that makes sense given the conference that they're in. And if they're anywhere, close to being mediocre. They're going to fall to that point. But, you know, Kentucky was 78th, Louisville 133rd, Florida one hundred eight, Ohio State 155th, Connecticut 179th, and they probably should be lower uh, in 2018. They were awful. Um, But those sort of teams, that gives me further evidence that Duke being their worst of all the 23 years that he's been collecting data, that the worst that he could put them was 19th. That says something about the program and how consistently terrific it has been. And even when we're, like I said, even when we're not winning national championships, we are having tremendous seasons that other schools would only dream of.
0: All right, gentlemen, we promised at the top of the podcast that we would talk football and we absolutely need to because the football season is really just a couple of weeks away. Duke begins with Alabama. Oh boy, <laughs> um, and we're gonna we're we're gonna have a uh, intense Alabama preview uh, coming up, folks. In, in not on this podcast, but but coming up in about a week or so. But the cool thing about that Bama game is. All three of us will be in attendance. We will all be there together, not sitting in the same seats by any stretch of the imagination. Um, we'll be uh, using some press passes and, and other stuff like that. But uh, folks, we're going to do some kind of tailgate meetup. Uh, we'll have details on that once we get it all figured out. But if you're planning on going to the Chick-fil-A Bowl in Atlanta to, to see Duke play Alabama um, at the end of the month, um, just know that the DBR podcast crew will be on hand and that we will uh, uh, we will have some kind of situation for you where you can come by and say hi and um, who knows what else will happen we may have some fun stuff there We'll we'll have to see about that but but guys as we as we look ahead to the uh, to the football um to, to the football season on a whole uh, Sam I'll start with you you know what what impression do you have of, of what's coming up for the team and what kind of a season it's going to be
1: I think that that Alabama game is on the one hand extremely fun because uh, as you said we're all going to be there which will be great and it, it it's cool to to get to play the the best programs in the country that being said the last time Duke played Alabama back in 2010 um, that game dealt them such a hangover that it felt like they never really recovered and they went on to only win I think four games that season so we hope that that is not the effect here. Obviously, after this game, Duke has a game against North Carolina A and T that should be much, much, much easier um, and then has to go on the road again to Middle Tennessee before also going on the road to to face Virginia Tech at the end of the month. They do get a bye week in there, which is good. so um, the hopefully the the Alabama hangover is gone by the time Duke travels to Blacksburg, but regardless, it's going to be a tough start to the season. and in particular on the offensive side of the ball. Duke is going to be initiating a lot of new offensive skill players. Obviously, Daniel Jones isn't there anymore, so Quentin Harris is taking over at quarterback. Um, you have a, a bunch of receivers who got limited playing time last year and will need to step up and, and fill much bigger much bigger roles this year there's no tj ramming around to um to take the top off the defense from time to time so duke's going to be initiating a lot of new receivers and guess what their first opportunity to do that is against the uh the defensive bulldozer that is the alabama crimson tide who i, I can't uh, say that i've i've dug too deeply on their on their depth chart but i'm just gonna go ahead and assume that their secondary and their linebackers are are all NFL talent and it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge for Duke against Alabama. Obviously. Um, I just hope that they, that they don't <laughs> let it psych them out the first few weeks of the season, um, and lead to other sort of less, uh, how would we say this? Less acceptable losses than, than losing to the Crimson
0: Tide. Uh, Donald, um, <laughs> do you want to give me any hope for this game or, uh, no, actually, I'm not even going to ask you that. Just, Donald, just <laughs> tell me what your thoughts are about the big football season. We're not going to get into that yet.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I know we're going to do a full-out preview of everything uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks. But uh, when it comes to – let's start with Alabama uh, because it is a game. I, I do like the fact that no matter what the score is going to be, we were selected to basically kick off college football. Now, I know this is a little different because uh, they moved the Miami-Florida game up a week so that that could kick off – uh, the 150th season of college football. But until that happened. Yeah, but who was cares about game. Miami
1: football, right?
2: I know, right? Um, hey. <laughs> but no, seriously, like the fact that they decided that this was going to be the marquee matchup for college football's 150th season. And they picked us. That says something about how, how what heights our program has gotten to in the last, you know, decade and, and a half under uh, under Coach Cutcliffe. It, did you think in 2004 that we'd ever be playing in the, in the, you know, uh, Mercedes Benz stadium, probably not. Um, we probably were hoping to get on television. Um, and so fast forward to that, we're walking into the Benz against Alabama. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be a sight to see. I mean, I don't know. I I think we are up for it. I don't know if we're going to, you know, score a lot of points against them, but in the end it's going to be fun in the sense that these guys are going to get an experience that this program really hasn't had in a long time. So, uh, I really commend um, the program as a whole for that. But also I want to, you know, we're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks, but I want to pique your guys' mind at a game that you're probably going to be like, why are we talking about this game? It's that following week against North Carolina A&T. Why am I shouting at A&T? Because A&T is really damn good for uh, FCS for uh, school. They have been tearing up, fcs the last couple of years they have great athletes and that is not a game that we need to if we're going to have a hangover it better be for a day because a will want to play us they have they have wanted to play us for a long time we haven't played them in quite a while and these guys are going to be up for that game that's going to be our first home game and while we're thinking yeah that's going to be an easy cakewalk it will not be a cakewalk because AT has a lot of athletes that are very very good and we need to make sure that we're on our p's and q's for that game
0: uh, look, my, my thing I'll say about the whole football season is, uh, we're clearly, uh, Sam mentioned at offense, we're clearly not going to be as experienced as we have been, but every year we see that cut seems to be bringing in better and better classes of recruits. He, he red shirts, a lot of them, um, to, to, you know, to make sure that we have them until further along in their careers. And, and I, I hope we're going to, I hope we're going to see the the fruits of that somewhat in this season. Um, I, I know that uh, at the ACC Media Day, Duke was picked fifth out of seven teams in the Coastal Division. Um, Virginia, Miami, Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh all picked ahead of Duke. We're supposed to finish ahead of North Carolina and Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's uh, I think going to be awful this season as they adjust from uh, the end of the Paul Johnson uh, option era. But um, you know. I, I, I would love I'd love for Duke to find a way to to creep up to maybe third or fourth in the Coastal Division, really show that um, this team is continuing, um, you know, the, the the bowl streak that we have, um, you know, going to the bowls very, very consistently and and being competitive. And I think this Alabama game is a yeah. It, I mean, only a fool would say Duke's going to win the game. I, I really have high hopes that we can be competitive with them, um, you know, to To some extent, in maybe even into the second half, I mean, look, when Duke played Clemson last year, um you know it was not complete completely uncompetitive um for for much of the game, so uh, so i I hope that we can have a, another performance like that, and uh, you know, I think Duke is not so outclassed athletically that that we have no chance of being on the same field with these guys. Um, And that's, that's a change from what it used to be. So, you know, full, full props. And, and I know coach cut is, uh, is getting these guys ready. um, It's a a nice thing.
1: It's a nice thing. This is one of those years where the teams get two bye weeks instead of one, just uh, based on the spread of weeks between labor day and Thanksgiving. So they get, like I said, that 1st bye bi-week comes only after week three of the season. So they have Alabama and then two other non-conference games before the bye they get another bye at the end or at the beginning of november basically um before having to host notre dame in in wallace wade stadium so um it's a duke's got a tough schedule this year having to play both alabama and notre dame but they do get the two bye weeks in there as well um to hopefully nurse nurse more of the injuries and 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 be a little healthier as the season rolls on
0: Folks, if you're a fan of the DVR podcast, then you know what is coming next. It is time for us to thank our sponsor. They are with us all the time. Uh, the, the fine gentleman from Bird campbell Tucker Bird, Jamie Campbell, a pair of uh, former Duke roommates um, who bleed Duke blue. They have law offices in Texas and Florida. We urge you strongly, if you need legal needs in either of those states, Please, please, please reach out to them at birdcampbell.com, B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com, um, and tell them the D B R sent you. Guys, it is time for our parting shots, and uh, ordinarily the way this works is I toss to you guys, and, and you guys each do your parting shot, and then um, I do my parting shot, but I have two two parting shots this week and because of that i'm going to go first then i'll let sam go second donald can go third and then i will go fourth so i will go twice that is my prerogative i'm the host deal with it baby so for my first parting shot i want to talk about the nba summer um we had a very interesting summer of superstars changing teams forcing trades um you know Teams clearing the, a ton of cap space and then hoping and praying that they were going to get these big stars to come play for them. Um, stars teaming up together. I, I'm not going to rehash all of that stuff, uh, but I, I want to talk about something. I, I, I happened to sit down for lunch with a loyal podcast listener, a guy named Andrew Layton, Andy Layton. He was class of 89, just like me. Um, uh, a great guy. He's uh, he's in the uh, real estate industry now. And he and I sat down for lunch the other day and we were talking Duke and the NBA and basketball in general, and and we came across this conversation. Andy had some really interesting thoughts on it that that I'm gonna you know that I share with him. And he said to me, he thinks Adam Silver, the Dukie who is in charge of the NBA, is in some trouble. And and the conversation we had was this: these NBA stars are dictating who is good and who's terrible in the NBA. The 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 amount of power that they have in the current NBA is really unprecedented compared to any other league. Uh, I mean, look at what happened to Oklahoma city when, you know, Russell Westbrook said, um, I want to go. And Paul George said, I want to go. And Oklahoma city sort of had no choice, but to dismantle their team, take two of the top 10 players in the league and trade them away because those players asked for it. Um, it, it You know, if compare it to the NFL, where you had a guy like Le'Veon Bell, who, who had to sit out an entire season to sort of force Pittsburgh's hand. Um, I mean, that's an incredibly rash thing for a player to do. And, and what, what Andy Layton and I came up with, we were talking about the fact that the NBA is creating a situation where there are haves and have-nots in, in such an extreme way that these These big teams that the stars want to go play for, the teams in New York, the teams in LA, the the stars go to those teams and the rest of the league can't compete. If you're Oklahoma City and you've done a great job of, of developing a Russell Westbrook and convincing a Paul George to come play for you, you can't even keep them because these players just want to go where they want to go. And has it created a situation where The owners, where 22 of the owners say, we aren't going to be feeder teams for the eight teams that everyone wants to play for. That's not fair to us. We can't compete with that. And does it create a situation where Adam Silver is forced to, you know, do some crazy stuff to control what's happening with the players? Are the players out of control and do the owner's? have to do something really drastic to get them back under control. I think it's a really fascinating situation. And when you were looking at this summer and all the player movement that went on, all the stars changing teams, it was fun. It was exciting. I mean, the NBA owns the summer even more than baseball that's going on during the summer. But, you know, is there, is there a price to be paid down the road of, of most of the league being resentful of the fact that they are essentially feeder teams for the top teams in the league at this point i think it's a really interesting situation um and i just wanted to talk about it for a moment i don't know if you guys have any comment on it or if you think i i, I don't
1: think it's as dire as as you made it out to be because while yes players want to play in los angeles and in new york and houston or wherever it is they want to go um these things are also cyclical and and teams like the spurs and the raptors and the Warriors, maybe to a lesser extent, because they are in, they are in in one of these premier cities. Um, these teams are going to pop up from time to time and be able to build uh, and be able to build good teams before you know possibly fading back. But how is this different than than any other sport? Um, you know the. The most storied franchises in any sport are going to be filled with stars from year to year, um, regardless of of sort of what city they're in. So I don't think it's as as big a deal as you're making it out to be. But I could see where it tracks worse if. If this is sort of the beginning um and and players become much more aggressive about taking one year deals and moving around a lot and and wanting to go to other places as it is now, I think it's fine. I think that it's cool that the that the players have have all this personality and and that these little these little mini rivalries all crop up all over the time. We don't have the same kind of longevity on the rivalries, but but they're they're arguably as fun as they've ever been,
2: yeah. and i I agree with you in that it's cyclical because here's the thing. I mean, I think a lot of cities are usually on that list, but the teams aren't. For example, this year, I mean, nobody really went to L.A. except for the trade for Anthony Davis. I'm sorry, to the Lakers, except for the trade for Anthony Davis. They went to the Clippers. Nobody went to the Knicks. They went to the Nets. Nobody really – I mean, the uh, Boston got Kimba Walker and they got uh, uh, Enos Cantor, but they really kind of lost in this in the system, in, in the overall game. If You're thinking about this, the Sixers weren't weren't a destination team eight years ago. They they were a team that nobody wanted to go to. They Miami weren't a destination was,
1: team three years ago.
2: <laughs> right. They weren't a destination team. Hey, you trust know, the
1: process. Trust the
2: trust process. Trust the process. Right. <laughs> uh and you know, you had teams like the Knicks were where it was a, a place that a lot of people ended up. They didn't actually like sign there, they just ended up there. they're you know, Boston's the same way. They did, I mean. Kemba Walker and Enos Cantor are two of the first like big-name free agents to actually sign with them and not be traded to Boston. So, I mean, they have that sort of thing. I mean, there was a point where people went to play on the Pistons because the Pistons team was that good. I mean, and, and I say that to say – No one remembers that, Donald. I, I do. I will remember that for the rest of my life. Um, but I think these <laughs> – Sam's right. This thing is cyclical and really is – the league is one of the leagues, only leagues really, where the players – have the control to kind of form the teams with the people that are great, but there are casualties. I mean, we talked about Oklahoma city being depleted. Well, Chris Paul is now there and Chris Paul is desperately trying to get out and no team will take him um, because of his salary. So he is probably going to be stuck there for a year and then they'll have to figure out how to get rid of him next year. But in the end, a lot of these guys are saying, this is the one league where guys can say, Hey, if I want to go play with these players, I can just talk to them and go play with these players and doesn't have to be in my city. It could be in another city or it can be, they can all come here, but in the end, it always has worked out uh, for the most part over the last you know, 15, 20 years where the best players end up playing with each other. And that started with the league trying to do these super teams and trying to encourage them. And now they want that. They want that back and they can't get it because they've given the players a little too much power and freedom to do that. So it just is what it is.
0: Yeah, look, it's all about the dollars and um, teams' values uh, go up and down, you know, in a major, major way because of the this this player movement and and as a result the the success of of, of teams and and I think that's what the owners are going to be are going to push back on the owners are they they want to the, to be able to control the value of their asset. Um, I'm not saying it's so dire that it's going to cause a major lockout or anything like that, but I I won't be surprised if in a couple of years when we get a little bit closer to the, to the collective bargaining agreement being up that the owners aren't really pushing and trying to figure out something different in terms of player movement and how they control things. And then the last thing I'll say in the topic, then we'll get to the other parting shots. Cause I, I you know, we're talking too long. Um, I think it's kind of amazing. You know, if you had told someone, five years ago that New York and L.A. would be huge free agent destinations. No, not the Knicks and the Lakers, the Nets and the Clippers. That person would have thought that you were from Mars. Um, and it's kind of incredible the, the way the free agency played out this summer with the two biggest winners being the secondary team in the two biggest markets. It's It's very, very interesting.
2: I would tell you, trying to follow this from France was like – easily the worst thing possible because it was like it i mean the nba was on crack and it felt. i felt like every morning when i woke up it was the middle of the night here and deals were still going down and i was waking up to them and then i'd react to them and then six hours later the east coast would wake up and react to these same moves and it was just they're all like mind-boggling moves like you said a lot of the secondary quote-unquote secondary teams in a market are getting the we're getting the marquee free ages and that was uh, astounding uh in this in this day and age
0: all right sam your turn what you got for a parting shot my friend
2: two very
1: quick things one uh a shout out to dbr podcast listener buzz who is out here in seattle and hooked me up with a duke basketball report hat that i think is about as old as i am uh, pretty sure it's from the 90s it's very cool um so appreciated that and then also that i was back in durham a couple weeks ago um just for a few days to uh help facilitate the orientation activities for for the incoming class at fuqua so the the students who are a year behind me then at the school and it was just a ton of fun to be there and to see everybody like getting excited for a new school year don't worry we uh we we taught them how to dance along the Cascada, uh, among other things. Uh, it was uh, it was an action packed week, and I had a lot of fun. Uh, and can't wait to be back for good, or at least for a year, um, starting uh, in just over a week.
2: Did you fully indoctrinate the new Section Five and make sure that they carry that? You know, take the torch that you guys so so eloquently moved last year. Yo, new Section Five is uh, is pretty hype. Good. I must say. Good, uh, I'm good. I'm big looking fans, forward to team.
1: Let's go. I'm 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 big fan <laughs> of new section five. Yeah, they're they're, they're 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 good people.
0: All right, Donald, what you got a parting shot for?
2: Okay, I got two quick ones. One, I want to give a shout out to, uh, uh, Loudon South, uh, the little league team that is about to start in the Little League World Series, which begins today. As you guys know, the Little League World Series to me is the purest form of sports because it, they are kids literally playing a game and having fun doing it, and there's you know, all of the, the business part of things they don't really care about. They just play the game. So it's always fun to watch. So shout out to Loudoun County. They have a team in the world series and uh, they were looking really, really good. So uh, hopefully they will go all the way and represent for the DMV and on the baseball softball note, I'm going to give a shout out to my Duke university alumni softball team who will be competing in the knockout stages of the can tournament here in DC this Saturday uh, we were the third seed in our four seed bracket, and somehow won and got out of the group and made it to the next round. So uh, I want to give a shout out to my team. Hopefully, we do well on Saturday. And uh, that is that. I like baseball. Just baseball. I seed. thought
1: you were gonna, Donald. I thought you were about to bemoan the fact that uh, Duke alum Marcus Stroman was traded to the Mets. So everyone on this podcast
2: has to be upset about that, right? I mean, I mean, we we all are are upset about that. So I don't. I didn't feel the need to really bring it up and make us all sad again
1: look we're i'm still a marcus stroman fan just not just not the same way i I was before i can't i can't take pure unbridled joy in his
2: success anymore yeah it 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 sucks but i hate i I love i love (laughs) Stro. he's a man
0: all right gentlemen i teased it (laughs) go for it jason (laughs) for my (laughs) second one yeah here here it comes people so the ncaa um uh, this past week um uh, quietly did something that is just reprehensible and horrible, and I should be not at all shocked, but I guess a piece of me is uh, there have been recommendations made by Condoleezza Rice's committee and and some other folks um, in the wake of the horrific UNC academic scandal. Uh, These folks said that the NCAA needed to have some kind of reform that would allow it to handle academic misconduct. Um, the kind of stuff that UNC did where they, um, where they said, Oh no, you know, it, this isn't a crime because we allowed other students to also take part in this tr- horrific academic fraud. Um, and the NCAA sort of went, yeah, there's nothing we can do about that. We know that it was designed for athletics. We know that this scandal was uh, that, that Carolina compromised their academic integrity, but we really don't have any say over academic integrity, even though this clearly was related to athletics. And so Uh, There were all these panels, all these working groups who had got together and said the NCAA needs to put in bylaws that would allow it to deal with this sort of thing. They can't retroactively punish Carolina because they're a bunch of spineless cowards, but, uh, you know, at least we can deal with it in the future. Oh, guess what? Hold on to your hats. The NCAA decided, despite the recommendations, that they are not going to get into the game of trying to figure out whether academics are legitimate and the reason they decided not to, and this is what has me really pissed off, there were two powerful, powerful conferences who said, "No, no, we shouldn't do this." According to what you know, the sort of the insider story is, the ACC and the SEC said, "Uh-uh, we don't want you, NCAA, getting involved in in judging the academics of a school and judging whether or not schools are getting around." Um, uh, academic requirements uh, to, to help their athletic programs. Shame on the ACC and the SEC. I expected out of the SEC. This is a conference that, for decades, has basically treated academics like an afterthought when it comes to to athletics. When it comes to to, to big money sports, especially football, the SEC is notorious for for you know, classes that are designed only for football players and, and all that kind of stuff. I get that the SEC, which has no integrity whatsoever, would, would not want the NCAA to do this, but shame on the ACC for taking the SEC's side and helping to kill this reform. Um, I would think that the other programs in the ACC would have seen the malfeasance, the absolute abuse of the rules that North Carolina went through, that they went through, exclusively so they could gain an uh, athletic advantage on the other ACC teams. I would think that the rest of the conference would say, no, wait, we need to be the ones who scream louder than anyone else that this is wrong and that this needs to be changed. And instead, the ACC is full of a bunch of spineless bastards who are just as spineless as the rest of the NCAA and refuse to take on big money North Carolina. It's shameful. It's wrong. And... When we look back on college athletics, somewhere down the road, we will look back on this era as the era where all these schools failed, the many athletes who are trying to be student athletes, because the schools only care about money. And it's, it's just, it's terrible. I can't wait till the day that this shit is over. It's just wrong. And, and it, it just, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. It bothers me so much. That our conference, at the ACC, wasn't a champion of reform and instead got in the way of it.
2: And Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, but when this when this scandal broke and they made their ruling, the NCAA basically said, "We don't have the capacity to oversee this, but this is something that we are creating a committee to address." That's what this was for. This was literally supposed to institute the changes that they decided not exactly. to institute. Yeah. So that's just, that's, that's, I mean, they're a bunch of suckers for that. Like they literally did this to make these changes and then decided, nah, we're not going to do them. That's, that's, that's
0: crap. Uh, Like I say, I'm, I'm borderline speechless. It's just wrong. It's so wrong. How can they even pretend to have the student athletes best interest at heart? If the NCAA will not take any steps to ensure that they're getting educated. How dare we, you call them student athletes? Can we just Let's call them, call athletes them what now? they are? Can we just call they them athletes? They are professionals who are not being paid. They're, they're yeah, Athletic but wait, they're, they're professional athletes who are not being paid. Yeah,
1: but they're getting paid in, in scholarships that they that they may or uh, may not take advantage of.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I, and, and I'll say this: I would be perfectly fine with that answer if you were ensuring that they were actually getting the education that those scholarships um, allow them to it, And that's why to me, this was so important. If the NCAA is going to make the argument that we don't have to pay them because we're giving them something of value. There has to be somewhere in there that the NCAA ensures that these players are taking part in that thing of value. And in the case of North Carolina, they absolutely did not. There's no question they did not. And, 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 it, and, and, essentially the NCAA has abdicated their responsibility to, to educate the athletes. And like I say, treat them like professionals. if they're going to be professionals, treat them like professionals. If you want to call them student athletes, then ensure that they are also students.
2: And, I, and this other, this committee, another thing that I I'm kind of perplexed that they didn't address. And it goes into the line of like, you know, student athletes, whether they're being paid, all this stuff is that they still have on the books that a school can cut you after a year and revoke your scholarship it's a year to year thing, but a player has to go through the transfer portal. They have to sit out a year and really they have these other, you know, things put in place. I'm actually surprised that no one has actually checked the NCAA on this because that is something that I think in the next couple of years, if this academic stuff doesn't get sorted out, like it's supposed to, if all these other things with regards to compensation don't get addressed Someone's going to go and say, look, if you can basically fire me, then I'm technically an at-will employee and I either should get – A, should get paid or B, should be able to move freely within the 353 basketball schools or you know 100 and whatever football schools that there are in North America. Because if I can't do that, then the, – or if, if that's the case, then really these guys should be being able to offer themselves to
0: the highest bidder. Look, we've been at this for more than an hour on this podcast. Yeah, we we could could
2: go along another hour. We could
0: entirely, yeah. Uh, There were things you just mentioned that I was like, wait, I want to talk about that for the next 10 minutes. We're not going to do that. Don't worry, folks. This edition of the DBR podcast, number 162, is all wrapped up. We are all done. Again, I want to thank our sponsors, Bird Campbell, those fine gentlemen for for bringing the dbr podcast to you i want to thank sam and donald for joining me i want to remind all of you once again come to the chick-fil-a bowl in atlanta or what is it's actually the chick-fil-a kickoff special or classic whatever the heck they call it come see duke play alabama and come see sam and donald and i will be someplace in the parking lot we'll let you know all about it in coming weeks um but that's going to wrap it up here on this latest edition this summer classic of the dbr podcast i am jason evans thanks for joining us it is time for the Duke band to play at home.